So this morning, I want to extol the virtues of womanhood as laid out for us in the Scripture. We want to set a model before you. I realize President Obama presents a different model of what the family looks like, but herein, for us this morning, is the Word of God. And the Word of God gives us a picture, a portrait, if you will, of the excellent wife. Now, let me just say this to begin with. You might ask, who is this message for? Well, there's no doubt this message is for mothers, and I would say it's my heart's desire to encourage you. Okay, I don't want you to go out feeling as though you can't compare or ever attain to this. I do want to say that this is the the pursuit of a lifetime, right? This is not a woman who gets married at 20 and wakes up Proverbs 31 at 21, okay? This is a woman, this is gained in walking with the Lord, but it is a portrait, it is a model, if you will, that we can look at. That being said, certainly though, my message is for you single women, okay? Because this ought to be the woman that you esteem. This ought to be the type of woman that you're striving to be. This message is for junior high girls, okay? This is what a junior high girl ought to look up and say, that's the type of woman that I want to be. This message is for high school girls. I mean, make no mistake about it. This is the type of portrait that ought to be brought up and talked about in our home. So it is, if you will, for single women, for junior high, high school women. This certainly is for married women without children. You may be here. You might be new, newly married. Maybe you've been married for some time and you don't have kids. Still, there's an example here of what this woman does, if you will. Certainly, this would be a model for married women with children. Strive to be this woman. If you are a widow, this is the type of woman you can be. And I'm contrasting that in my mind with what the godly woman needs to be in contrast in 1 Timothy 5 to a woman who's idle and who is a busybody. I would say also who this message is for, it is for you single men. You ought to marry this kind of woman, okay? I mean, I don't know what picture you lift up in your mind, but this is the type of woman you ought to marry. If you're 20, marry this type of woman. If you're 21, 22, 23, make it your prayer that you would indeed find a woman like this. And certainly for you husbands, even this morning, you are to honor the woman who bore your children. And so Proverbs 31, as Dave said, is really set forth, as as he said, as a prayer of every mother for the type of wife her son should marry. So if you're a grandparent today and you have grandsons, this ought to be, as you begin to pour into them, what type of woman your grandson should marry. If you're a grandparent and you have a granddaughter, then you would want her to be this type of woman on what the Scripture says that she needs to be. A a virtuous mother, here, here's a virtuous mother, actually entrusting 
her son with some precious truth. Obviously, her son is a king. And she's telling her son what he must avoid if he's going to be a man of God and what he must pursue in the type of woman that ought to accompany what he is and what he is leading in his, what he, where he is leading in his life. Now, let me just remind you that this message is not an elbowing session to your wife for you husbands, okay? You can't elbow her throughout the time, okay? Because my purpose this morning is to encourage, is to extol, is to provide an example for women who are desirous of being all that God would have for you. Unless you think it is an elbowing session, remember that Father's Day is coming, okay? It is coming up, I believe, on June 17th. And so what we have here in Proverbs 31 is an acrostic poem exalting the excellent wife. You might not be able to see that it is an acrostic, but it is in the Hebrew. There are 22 verses, each beginning, if you will, these verses with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This means that the first letter of each line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in sequence. That's why it's appropriate to call it a poem. It is written, as it states there in 31.1, by King Lemuel. And because it is arranged in an acrostic, the writer really jumps from one thing to another. But all of it is contributing to the total picture of a woman. I mean, here is a virtuous mother. Here is a virtuous woman. Here is an excellent wife. So how can we get a framework on that? Well, there's eight qualities that mark out this woman, okay? I'm sure there's more, but I'll touch on eight, okay? There are eight characteristics that provide an insight here into this woman's God-fearing ways. Here are eight qualities, if you will, that honor God, and here is a mature woman. Someone has called the, this section of Scripture the golden ABCs of womanhood. And here it is. It contains the virtues of a godly woman. Let's just dive right in. It's there on your notes. I'll explain them as we go. Here's the first quality. We'll just call her virtuous. Virtuous. And it's there found in verse 10. Look at your Scripture. It says in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels here's that first characteristic she's a virtuous woman now the scripture says in verse 10 there that she's excellent literally what that means is that she is a woman of valor this is a woman here of noble character like, it's really kind of an interesting word. It is a woman of strength. It says excellent, and, but it, it's the idea that she has strength in her. You'd even be able to say, and I think you understand how I mean this, it's a woman of force. This is an excellent woman. In fact, that expression is used in Judges 6.12 of a mighty man of valor. And so there, there's a man, he's got valor. This woman is an excellent woman, is an excellent wife, and she has val valor, she has strength, she has force. Now look what the scripture says in verse 10 of this woman. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? 
Now, when it says who can find, it's not because the woman doesn't exist. Oh, no, they're, they're, they do exist, but because they are so rare in this world. And so here is this excellent woman who can find. They are so, so very scarce. In other words, she's not easily found, but when she is, it's a rare case and she is of surpassing value to those who find her. In fact, in Proverbs 18.22, it says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. These women are scarce. Again, in, the, in another context, that word there for excellent speaks of wealth. It speaks of ability. It speaks of even capability is the thought. In other words, her work signifies the ability to affect or produce something. And again, sometimes the word is used of physical strength, of military power. It's even used of a war horse in certain writings. And though, interestingly, that the woman is the weaker vessel... In 1 Peter chapter 3, she is made strong here by her wisdom and by her grace and by her fear of God. In fact, Proverbs says in 12.4 that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And you have different ways this word was used. Boaz knew this of Ruth in Ruth 3.11 where he said, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I, do not, I, I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Same word. In other words, Boaz said, listen, everyone knows that you're a virtuous, excellent woman. Now, she is described because she is excellent. excellent. Look what it said of her in verse 10. It says, when you find this one, she is more precious than jewels. The NASB says that her worth is far above jewels. In other words, when you find this kind of woman, there is no earthly treasure that can compare to her. In other words, when you find a treasure, no, this woman is above them all. This woman exceeds all earthly treasure. I think it's interesting. Look, look back in Proverbs chapter 3 for a moment. It, you know, Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and the value of wisdom. Hold your hand in Proverbs 31, but look at Proverbs 3. And here it's speaking of wisdom, okay? And it says of wisdom in 3.15 that she, okay, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. You can back it up. Verse 13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For her gain from her is better than, better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold, and she is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And it's spoken of as her because here wisdom is personified. It's put in the picture of a person, but that's how, precious, that's how precious wisdom is. It's more precious than any earthly commodity. Look over at Proverbs chapter 8. It says something very similar there. Again, speaking of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8 in verse 11, it says there, 
For wisdom, 8.11, is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Okay? Now, as you look to Proverbs 31, wisdom, then, is bound up in a person. It's bound up in this virtuous woman and a great wife here, the Scriptures say, is better than jewels. I read one time of uh, Jacqueline Kennedy. You remember her, John Kennedy's wife, Jacqueline Kennedy, later became Onassis. But you can check this out on the internet. She had a 40, it almost sounds impossible, a 40-carat diamond, okay? Now, can you imagine what that would look like? A 40-carat diamond. It's like, let's see your wedding ring. Like, I've noticed my, wife, my daughter has been showing her wedding ring. She just got engaged two weeks ago. But I'm not even sure. Could you pick it up? I, I don't know. Um, let me show you, you know. But it, it, was, uh, it was 40 carats. I mean, the thing was just an absolute rock. It was given to her on her engagement to that man by the name of Onassis in 1968. But 40 carats. They, they say that she only wore it two times in all of her life. I, I've given my wife that. You just haven't seen it. Um, no, I'm joking. Okay. Um, she only wore it. But listen, here's what the scripture says. This woman, because of her character, far surpasses any kind of jewelry. That whatever this precious treasure would be, an excellent wife, she's so rare that she's more precious than jewels. You say, what makes her so virtuous? Secondly, okay, she's not only virtuous, but she's trustworthy. Here's what makes her, one of the reasons why she's so virtuous is she's, secondly, trustworthy. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband Trust in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Here is a woman worthy of confidence. This woman inspires full confidence. In other words, she's not just virtuous, but she's trustworthy. She's dependable. And he, her husband, trusts her. In other words, she's reliable. Okay, He trusts her conduct. He trusts her decisions. He trusts her tongue, if you will, in the use of words. He trusts her in handling of the finances. She would never betray his counsel. She doesn't ever betray his dignity. He has complete confidence in her. He trusts her. In other words, here's a godly woman. There is no suspicion that raises up in his mind regarding her. There are no concerns in his mind regarding her character. There is no anxiety in his life as he thinks about this woman. Why? Because it says there, the heart of her husband trusts in her. She demonstrates impeccable loyalty to her husband. His care is her concern. His comfort, if you will, is her passion. In fact, he lacks nothing. Look what verse 11 says. It says there in verse 11, he will have... No lack of gain. In other words, she is virtuous. Here's why. She's trustworthy. Thirdly, would you note this though? She is supportive. She is supportive. Verse 12. 
it says there that she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. When you think of this woman, virtuous, trustworthy, supportive, she is an asset, if you will, to him, not a liability. See, unlike Eve, who became a tempter, if you will, to Adam, and unlike Solomon's wives, who led King Solomon away, and unlike Jezebel, who led her husband into evil, and unlike Job's wife, who told him to curse God and what? Die. Not this woman. This woman does him, it's what the scripture says, good and not harm and not evil is the thought all the days of her life. In other words, she does nothing to detract from his reputation. In fact, certainly one of the best character analysis which any man can obtain is to be known as the husband of a good wife. There's no mixture here in this woman. She does him, the scripture says, good. See, she's not like Rebecca, who supported Isaac early on and then later deceived him. She's not like Rachel, who, although she loved Jacob, brought idolatry into the family. No, this woman is not like Michael, you remember in the Old Testament, who did good to David at first to preserve his life, yet later she despised him. No, here's this virtuous woman. She's virtuous, she's trustworthy, she's supportive, she does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. I mean, this is just such a contrast. Would you just look back a few chapters in Proverbs 19? I don't mean to rain down on this, but to highlight the scripture. Proverbs 19, verse um, 13, it says there that a foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. There is just a quarreling woman, and it's like a drip, 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 a rain that just keeps going. Look over at Proverbs chapter 21. Here's what to avoid. Here, you know this one in Proverbs 20, 21, verse 9. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared by a quarrelsome wife. Wow, that's a harsh word, isn't it? Glance down at 21 verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Can you imagine somebody coming up to a child on the playground and say, well, where's your dad? Oh, he moved out. Well, where did he move? He moved to the Mojave Desert. You say, well, why would he move to the Mojave Desert out where the space shuttle comes back? Well, he just couldn't handle mom, and so he lives out in the desert. I mean, this, the, he, you know, the proverb says there, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Look over at Proverbs 25, okay? Proverbs 25, in verse 24, okay? It says there, 25, 24, it is better to live in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife well hey we're, i've come over to your house a number of times but 
I've never seen your dad. Oh, no, no, my dad lives up there. <laughs> he, well, what do you mean he lives up there? Isn't this how? No, no, no. He, he's moved up into the attic, into the far reaches of the corner of the attic. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, here Proverbs actually says it's better, right, to live in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wo- woman. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 15. There it says, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Now listen, you come to Proverbs 31, 12, the virtuous woman doesn't mean that she's never, that she's always walking in the spirit. But the point here is that she's supportive to him. It says in verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. All that she does contributes to his well-being. So she's virtuous, she's trustworthy, she's supportive. And fourthly, here's this portrait. She is energetic for the sake of a word. Energetic, okay? And there's a number of scriptures that go to this. It says in verse 19 that she's working. It says in verse 24 that she even has a business. And as you walk through this narrative, she's working, she's industrious, she's busy, she's not a busy body. In fact, look at what it says about her work. She takes pleasure in her work. Verse 13, it says she seeks wool and flax and works, I like this little phrase, with willing hands. In fact, you're going to see a number of different times. In fact, I think it's 10 different times right here. It talks about her hands. I don't know, you know, what you think of in terms of a godly woman, and a godly woman certainly is teaching the scripture to her children. An older woman is teaching a younger woman. But when I continue to read through this, you're reading all about her hands. You're reading about her tireless service. But verse 13, she does it willingly. In fact, look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and, prov- and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Look at verse 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. I mean, she is just a tireless worker. She rises early in the morning. She prepares her family. She plants a vineyard in the day. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. In fact, look down at verse 27 of Proverbs 31. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. This woman is working. She's unlike the five virgins in Matthew 25. Oh no, not this woman. She's ready. She's alert. She's vigorous, if you will, in her efforts. In fact, I think the contrast comes in 1 Timothy 5.13, where it speaks of a woman that's idle. She's not working. It speaks of a woman who goes from house to house. In other words, we might say in the vernacular, she's a bit nosy. It says in 1 Timothy 5 that she's not merely idle there of of a wrong example. It says that she's a gossip and she goes about from place to place and house to house and she just talks. And then it even says in 1 Timothy 5.13 that she's acting like a busybody. In other words, she's meddling in other people's concerns. Not this woman. This woman is energetic, if you will. This woman is active. This woman is using her hands, if you will, to be a blessing to others. In fact, there's five tasks 
of this woman alone in Proverbs 31. You want to see it? Look at verse 22. Here, she's in fabric construction. This doesn't mean that all of you do exactly every point here, but you get the composite picture that what makes this woman here is her strength, is her energetic nature. It says in verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So she's involved in some kind of fabric construction. Secondly, I would note, this woman is trading in the marketplace. She's trading in the marketplace. Look at verse 14. It says there that she is like the ships of the merchant and she brings her food from afar. And then she goes out and she sells it in another text. Thirdly, if you will, she's organizing domestic traffic in her home. In verse 15, she's rising while it's yet night, provides food for her household and portions to her maidens. And then you see, fourthly, she's making linens and garments, and she does that for sale in 31:24. She's ministering to the poor in verse 20, fifthly. And so this woman is, is energetic, to say the least. In fact, look at verse 13. It says there that she seeks, it says wool and flax. Wool is for the winter months, okay? They used wool here in biblical times for hygiene. It was a very clean material. They used it for warmth. They used it even for, it had an elasticity to it. There was a resilience, if you will, to rule. There was a, it was kind of a a wrinkle-resistant type of garment that they wore in that day, and it was often pressed for durability. This woman is looking, if you will, verse 13, for wool. She's seeking it. And then it says there, you'll notice in 13, that she seeks wool and flax, and flax would be for the summer months in Palestine. I mean, this woman is, is working, is the picture. In fact, verse 14, look at it. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Now, I don't think the writer is saying that she looks like a ship. I mean, make sure you're correct there, okay? But she's like a ship that brings a continual supply of abundance, okay? Now, you'll note here in verse 22 that she makes bed coverings for herself. And I'll say something about this in a moment. I think she possibly might do that to not embarrass her husband and even her children. But this is a woman who has a servant's heart, okay? That's a godly woman. She's excited about making other people secure. She's excited about making other people warm and safe. She's got a servant's heart. Secondly, I would say she's got a submissive spirit. And within this whole context here is the freedom to be creative under the protection of a divinely appointed authority in her life who is her husband, but but she has a freedom in that. So on the one hand, she's under him, but she's creative all at the same time. She's got a servant's heart. She's got a submissive heart. And thirdly, I'd note here, she's got a quiet spirit. God used her in a mighty way. You say, well, why was she so energetic? Where where does this quality come from? I mean, how could that woman be like that? Well, the fifth characteristic, I think, will tell us why she's so energetic in that fourth quality. Number five, she's unselfish, okay? She's unselfish. 
That's what gave her her energy. And I don't know another way to say that. It wasn't about her. In fact, I think it's very important. Watch the order of this. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the who? To the poor. She reaches out her hands to the what? To the needy. She's ministering to other people. Secondly, look at this in verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her, what? Household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. So what's driving this woman's energy is the unselfishness in her nature. She's concerned for the poor. She's concerned for the needy. She's concerned, secondly, for her own household. And now do you get this order? Look at verse 22 now. She makes bed coverings for what? Herself. In other words, I could just put it this way. She comes last. She's ministering to the poor and the needy. She's ministering to the people in her own household. Then she makes sure that she has met the needs for herself. I think probably, again, not to be an embarrassment. I mean, this is an incredible others-minded woman. I don't know what you think when you think of a godly woman, but a godly woman is one who has her focus outward in orientation to meet the needs of other people, and that's why she's so energetic. Would you look down at the scripture in verse 23? Maybe some of you have wondered about this. It says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Interesting phrase. MacArthur said here that this woman made a significant contribution to her husband's position in the community and to his success. In other words, all she did was significant to who he was and to his own even success. He said that his domestic comfort promoted his advancement in public honor. And he said that a man's good reputation begins with his home and thus the virtue of his wife. Interesting thought. See, a man with a wife like this will be respected by his peers. Dwayne Garrett, the Hebrew scholar, offers really an insightful thought here. He says that the poem is skillfully crafted. And as I mentioned, it's both an acrostic. Each verse begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. But not just in that acrostic. It's, it's put in what we call in Hebrew a chiastic structure, okay? And I've included that in your bulletin. Okay, now, either one of these, either the acrostic or the chiastic structure, is sufficient evidence of the poet's skill, but the integration of the two is astounding. And so I've included that little chiastic structure for you because I wanted to point something out to you. You can see it. It's just very interesting. You can see that if you match up B, okay, where the husband is benefited by the wife, look down on the bottom of the structure, the, the structure, her husband and children praise the wife, 28 and 29. Look at C. Here, the wife works hard in verse 13 through 19. But as you follow the structure down, C on the bottom side, the wife works hard. 
If you look at letter D, the wife gives to the poor. And then in that scripture, verse 26 of D, she speaks wisdom. In E, there's no fear of snow. Interesting, E in the structure, there's no fear of the future. You'll notice in F that her children are clothed in scarlet. And here, she's clothed, if you will, verse 25a, in dignity. And then you'll note in G, she's making coverings for bed for, and her wife wears linen. And here in G, she sells garments and sashes, so forth. But it all finds its focal point, look, on H, is the public respect that the husband, if you will, garnishes because of who this woman is. Now, now what's fascinating here is that the center point, okay, and you can see it, okay, of the chiasmus is verse 23. The center point here, according to Garrett, it's an interesting point, is that the declaration that the husband is highly regarded at the gates. Now, it's, it's fascinating because there are many people, when you read verse 23, who almost think verse 23 is an intrusion on the poem. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, he's talking about this woman, this, this, the, King Lemuel, and his mother gave him this. And he's talking about this woman, and in the midst of this incredible description is a statement there that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land, and they see it as an intrusion. And all the other verses obviously praise the wife. But this verse alone focuses, does it not, on the esteem that the husband commands. Now listen, far from being an intrusion, verse 23 actually establishes the central message of the poem. This woman, listen, is the kind of wife that a man needs in order to be successful in this life. Listen, in short, the original attended audience was not young women. Okay, or young women, meaning this. This is the kind of wife you should be. No, listen. The original intended audience is young men, young men. This is the type or the kind of wife you should get. It's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? I mean, is he actually speaking about the woman? We would say he is. But if it's the words of Lemuel and the oracle that his mother taught him, you might find that here the pinnacle of Proverbs 31 is not really addressed to young women, though it is. It's addressed to young men. This is the type of wife you should get. Now, this doesn't mean that the poem cannot be used to instruct women, but the interpreter, as we look at it, must recognize the primary objective here. So I just say, listen, if you're a grandfather, is this the type of young women you're telling your grandson about? If you're a dad, is this the type of woman that you're trying to draw your son to? When you think of your son or your grandson getting married, where do you go? I would submit to you, 
come here. Because these are the words that Lemuel spoke, but his mother taught him on the type of woman that would enable him to be a king that ruled in a righteous way, okay? So here is this woman, and I'm in the middle of this point. She's unselfish, okay? She's utterly unselfish. Verse 18 says that her lamp doesn't go out at night. It doesn't mean that she didn't sleep, but that, all, that her home was open. It was available. It was a haven, if you will, for the distress. The thought is she works by day, she works by night completely and totally unselfishly, okay? In fact, she's, look at verse 19 if you look again at that scripture. It says there that her hand holds the spindle. That is uh, two flat, if you will, circular objects which helped allow the fabric the fabric to be useful and so here the home was what generated her foundation for ministry outside of the home and then she extended her hands to the poor she reached out it says in the scripture to the needy totally unselfish so here is this woman She's virtuous, she's trustworthy, she's supportive, she's energetic, she's unselfish. Number six, she's wise in her speech. I mean, obviously, you don't come to this overnight, do you? She's wise. Look what it says in verse 26. She opens her mouth, I love this little phrase, with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. In other words, She speaks wisdom. She is an example of wisdom personified in a person. She is wisdom, the thought is, in her home, in her marketplace, with the poor, and in the business endeavors she has. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. It reminds me of Ephesians 4 where it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification that it may impart grace to those who hear. And here is this woman who kindness is on her tongue. She's like Priscilla instructing Apollos. She opens her mouth in wisdom and she instructs with kindness. She is, the opposite is true, right? Not gossiping. She's not slandering. She's not maligning. She's edifying. She's encouraging. She's giving praise with wisdom. She's instructing her children with that kind of kindness. She's useful. She's graceful. She's beneficial, if you will, with her words. But there's a seventh feature, and we close this out in just a second here. She's God-fearing. God-fearing. Say all we want, but here is one of the master motives here. Verse 20, it says in verse 30, that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Here is this godly woman. Why is she virtuous? Well, here she's fearing God, if you will, okay? She's not concerned with her outward appearance. She's concerned with her heart. And here is what completes and crowns her character. She obeys God. She fears God. She's pious. She's godly. Such a contrast to the woman earlier in Proverbs who's lurking in the streets in the earlier chapters. Here her secret is her godly character. And her beauty is not revealed in outward attractiveness. It's revealed in an inward character that displays 
a reverence and a fear of God. This is why her worth is far above jewels, right? I mean, charm, as it says there, and deceitful, or, or charm and beauty, it says, is vain. It's deceitful and vain. In other words, it's fleeting. The real glory of a woman is this, is it's her fear of God. It's her fear of God. So this is what his mother, Lemuel, is saying. You, you, you find this type of woman. Don't be concerned with the outward appearance. And I'm thinking of Paul to Timothy when he said, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works. This is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Don't be concerned for the external only. It's that internal quality of a precious spirit in the sight of the Lord, or even what Peter would say in 1 Peter 3, where it says, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And so here is this woman. She is God-fearing. And so as David said, even as he read the Scripture, Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord, And it ends here with the fear of the Lord. And this woman here fears God. She possesses knowledge and she has possession of wisdom. And she walks with God. I like what Matthew Henry said. He said this about the physical beauty in contrast to the spiritual beauty. He said, quote, a bit of sickness will stain and sully it in a little time. A thousand accidents may blast this flower in its prime. Old age will certainly wither it, and death in the grave consumes it. But the fear of God reigning in the heart is the beauty of the soul. It is in His sight of great price. It will last forever and bid defiance to death itself, which consumes the beauty of the body, but consummates the beauty of of the soul, end of quote. The fear of God is what sets this woman apart. And then you'll note the final feature here, number eight, is that she's rewarded. She's rewarded, verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And it says her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Her children bless her. Her children commend her. Oh, we've just got such a great mom. We've got the best mom of them all. She is the greatest mom in the whole world. Her husband praises her and says to himself and to others, I've got the best wife. He says to her, you excel them all. You know, oftentimes you think about it, a person's praise can come outside the home from those who don't know sometimes the person very well. But here this woman is praised by those who know her best, and it's an ultimate compliment, isn't it? Ironside, the commentator, said this, quote, He has found in her what the heart of every man craves, one whose beauty of soul and mind excel even beauty of face and form. And so look at the last phrase in 3131. Give her 
the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Here's the, 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 the praise that this woman deserves. Listen, she's virtuous. She's trustworthy. She's supportive. She's energetic. She's unselfish. She's wise in her speech. She's God-fearing. And here, she's rewarded. And my prayer for our church is that we just have so many women like this. So many women, as God begins to give us more years, that we would just have older women that are just sages and older women that just speak with wisdom. Older women whose teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And older women who more than anything else desire to fear God, that they would help create in this body and in this church a growing group of women who live out these virtues in comparison to the world. You know, with that announcement that was made this week, the first acting president to ever make such a statement on the state of what a marriage is, it will be interesting to see what's for us in America, right? But I'll tell you this, as, as we're going to fight the tide of, of, a, of a false uh, reality of what a woman needs to be, we need to fight the biblical virtues that are listed here, right? And this needs to be our heart. And as we're raising our kids, we want to help our sons find this kind of woman. We want to help our daughters to say, be this type of woman. We want to exhort you women in here, become and live out this paradigm that we might be faithful to this generation. Amen? Let's pray.